Support for today's episode is brought to you by Goldman Sachs 10,000 Women. So you guys know on this podcast, we love hearing the different ways women grow their entrepreneurial endeavors. And that is why we are so excited to tell you about Goldman Sachs' 10,000 Women. You probably know about Goldman Sachs, but you might not know about the 10,000 Women program. They founded it to help female business owners around the globe. The program has literally reached over 10,000 women in over 50 countries, and it empowers women to learn practical business skills like planning, negotiation, and employee management. Management, that is a big one, and we're going to dive into that right after this. And at Apple, one of the ways I broke through to the global was I created a great presentation that showed that we could grow their, grow their business with large multinationals, but I only printed one copy. And so when I presented that, the vice president's like, oh, gosh, this is great analysis. And he went to get it, and I put my hand on it, and I said, it comes with me. <laughs> so after- Hi, I am Carly Zakin. I am co-founder and co-CEO of The Skim, and you are listening to our podcast, Skimmed from the Couch, where we talk to other female entrepreneurs about what it takes to get to the top and what it is like along the way. We're talking bad advice, the really low days, management mistakes, the real stuff. No BS. Before we get into it, please bear with me because I am flying solo today. Welcome to Startup Life. We're trying something different. Danielle's on a vacation. (laughs) Much deserved. We are going to take this opportunity to flip the script and let Skimbassadors have a seat on the couch. That is right. A lot of the questions you will hear today will come from you, the listeners, our community. So thank you, Skimbassadors, for helping me out. Before we get to all of that, I'm very excited to welcome today's guest, Sylvia Acevedo, to the couch. When Sylvia was seven years old, she was a Girl Scout. One night, her troop leader caught her looking up at the stars and encouraged her to pursue that interest. Safe to say, Sylvia took her advice. She became a rocket scientist at NASA right out of college. Eventually, she switched tracks and went down the business leadership path. She led companies like Dell, Apple, and IBM. She even worked for the White House. But since 2016, Sylvia has been the CEO of Girl Scouts, where she has helped build out the Scouts alumni network and introduce new badges and programming around STEM. And yes, she did earn her science badge along the way. Sylvia, welcome to the couch. Oh, Carly, thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. Before we dive into your background, um, I do want to start with a really important question, something that might be controversial, but it's also from a skimmer named Samantha. What is your favorite Girl Scout cookie? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I know. I, I'm, it's, it's not a state secret. I'll go ahead and say it. Thin Mint. I love Thin Mints. So I, too, love a Thin Mint. But do you think I will like S'more better than Thin Mint? Um, there's a lot of great things about the S'more as well. I will say, I think just from when I was a kid, my mom was the cookie-covered chairperson, and we didn't have a garage, so we had floor-to-ceiling cookies in our home until they were all destroyed. And I said, could I have the mint cookies near my bedroom? And she said, as long as you don't open (laughs) up a carton. So for just two nights, I went to bed just just surrounded by thin mints. And to this day, it's like aromatherapy for me. That's how everyone should go to bed. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So, you know, I want to go back to to your resume and, and to all the places you have worked and I want to talk about NASA as well, but you've worked at the blue chip, the top, top names. Why Girl Scouts? You know, after I had successfully sold a company with three other engineers, Reba Technologies, 
I was thinking about going back into technology or what was I going to do? And I got this call from a researcher at Stanford, and she was looking in the archives. And so, yes, that does make you feel old when somebody calls you in there and say, I'm from the archives department. <laughs> but she said, when looking at it, she said, I was one of the first Hispanic male or female to have ever gotten a graduate engineer engineering degree from Stanford and unfortunately still was one of the few. And she said, looking back, Stanford really wasn't even recruiting at the time from your area. So how was it that you knew about Stanford, but also were prepared with the math, the science, to not only just get in, but to excel? And the more we started talking about it, I realized, why did I take all those science and math classes at a time when girls like me weren't doing that? They weren't even really graduating from high school, much less going on to college. And I realized how pivotal that Girl Scout experience was, that I got to you know, learn about science, got to do a lot of fun things with girls, experience the outdoors. And yeah, I did make an SD's rocket uh, to earn my science badge. And that filled me with so much confidence that I could do it. So I began taking math and science classes. And the more I did them, the more I realized I was good at it. And then I continued on. And until that time, I was a proud Girl Scout, but I didn't realize its lifetime impact on me. And I began volunteering, got on the national board, and when there was an opportunity, they asked me to step in as CEO. What do you think is so unique about Girl Scouts and as an organization that, um, that you've seen stay consistent and that you've seen change over time? You know, I always think about Girl Scouts. You know, what you love is that all-girl environment, that sisterhood. And for me, how did I learn something about science and technology way before mm -hmm. that was really common. Well, at Girl Scouts, we've had science and technologies from the very beginning, from when we started over 100 years ago. So that consistency of being able to try something that's non-traditional in that all-girl environment where you're going to be supported, you're going to be allowed to try it and try it until you know, you've reached whatever level of mastery you want, that is fantastic, right? And then also learning these really important skills you know, thanks to the cookie program, I learned how to create opportunity. You know, when I was young, my family, we lived paycheck to paycheck, and sometimes we didn't have enough money between paychecks. So you don't know how to create opportunity. In the cookie program, you learn how to make your dreams come true. You know how to, you learn how to set goals. You know how to create the steps to reach those goals. And that is about creating opportunity, creating your future. So that hasn't changed either, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, so having those types of programs that really teach girls, you know, how to be courageous, how to be confident, you know, how to have, you know, great character, you know, being a good citizen, and really looking at how can you make the world a better place. Something that has always stayed with me in Girl Scouts is you always leave your campground better than you found it. Mm -hmm. And to this day, when I go hiking, my friends go, oh, yeah, there you are, picking a crash <laughs> along a trail, because you've got to do this. Yeah. It's just so much part of who you are. Um, but then with Girl Scouts, how have we changed? You've got to be relevant with girls. So while we are really honoring our traditions and what we have done, we also realize like almost every girl now has a mobile device in her hands. And we need to make sure that she can not only be a user of technology, but a creator, an inventor, a designer. And she has to be able to coordinate her life with Girl Scouts on that mobile device. And so that's one of the ways that we're changing. So one of the things that we talk about on this podcast a lot comes from Danielle and my own experience and certainly resonates with our audiences, which is there's no such thing truly as a traditional career path anymore. And talk about um, creating your own future, creating your own path, creating your own opportunity. And, you know, when I look at your resume, um, you've done such remarkable things in such very different industries. And Rebecca in our uh, community, Rebecca, one of our skimmers said, like, how did you decide what to pursue? And I want to put that under the under the frame of 
how did you decide what to pursue and when to change direction? That is a really great question. And you're right. It was very much intentional. Um, so rocket science, I did that right out of college. And I think that's really an homage to uh, that young girl who made Estes rockets, right? And I was fascinated. How do you break gravity's grip? I wasn't interested in being a rocket. But I think because it took me so many times to finally get my Estes rocket to get, uh, you know, leave the sands, it's like, how do you break gravity's grip? So that was really an interest there. But then the other thing was um, I had the chance to stay uh, for much longer at JPL, but I realized that the missions lasted not just years but decades. And I really wanted to be in a type of work that was uh, much more fast-paced and made an impact. So after I graduated from Stanford, I switched to the technology industry. And I had a big moment when I was working for IBM and I was able to be innovative and doing all these different things. But I heard the guys next to me in the next cube start talking about, well, you know, to really get to the next level, you have to have uh, P&L experience, you have to have product marketing experience, et cetera. And I went in to talk to my boss, and he looked at me like, well, we hired you to be an engineer. And he really probably wasn't the right person to really develop me. And I thought, oh, my goodness, I've got to develop myself. I had to start moving on different experiences. So I moved from traditional engineering into sales and marketing. And that was right at the time of technology. And I had great success at IBM. It was so much fun. In fact, preparing for this interview, I was thinking like, wow, what were some of my like highlights? One of them was when I was at IBM, we got to take customers on the corporate jet. Oh my God. And we flew <laughs> by the Grand Canyon. And I, I said to the pilot, we going by the Grand Canyon? He goes, yeah. And he like, you know, went as far as he could over the airspace of the Grand Canyon. I mean, it was just like such wow. a great experience. And the customer really liked it. And yeah, the customer ended up buying with us as well. So <laughs> it was that sales opportunity. But then that was when Apple was really taking off. And so then I said, what can I go? into, you know, looking at this great company that's moving and growing much faster. So I had, con you know, consciously made that decision. And then when I was Apple, I saw that there, there was a need for folks in the global division. I thought, man, how fun would this be to travel internationally for a technology company? And I hit a brick wall. Um, even though I was bilingual um, and, you know, bicultural, they said, no, you know, you don't have quite the right experience, et cetera. And one of the things you learn at Girl Scouts, one of the lasting lessons for me was my troop leader told me that when we were selling cookies, but it's a lesson in life, you never leave the side of a sale until you've heard no three times. And, you know, in cookies, you know, I really realized that it helped me be persistent. It helped me kind of continue to uh, make sure that I went after that sale, just didn't take the can, first no. Can we break that down for a second? Not sure. To interrupt. It's hard to hear no. And I think sometimes the anticipa anticipation of hearing no is worse than the actual act of hearing no. And yeah. it's something that we used to talk about all the time in the early days when we couldn't get funding and people, you know, we would just get no, no, no. And our families were like, the worst thing that they could say is no, like mm -hmm. keep trying. And in your mind, when you're in those moments, especially, you know, at that point in your career, and, you know, maybe this is how the Girl Scouts uh, instill this in you. What should your reaction be when you hear the first no? How do you how do you kind of bounce back from the first no to get to the third no when you walk away? What should that mental exercise look like? So what I think is, okay, how can I get it to a yes, right? Mm -hmm. So what is another way around this? In Whether I was selling cookies and asking if there was anybody else in the house or some other aspect of how can I get you to say yes? In corporations, it's the same way. Or even when I was in high school and I, want, I was the first chair in the percussion, and my band director said, we got these big timbales. He said, you can't march with them. And I'm like, why can't I march with them? He said, you're a girl. I said, no, that's not it. What is, what is it to take it to be a yes? And he was like, I don't think you can carry them. Ah, I can work on that. I can get strong so I can carry them. 
And in corporations, it's the same thing. I had an opportunity. I, I applied for a job at another company to do international, and they said no. It's, and it's like, why no? You can't just say because it's a female. And they said, well, we don't feel you're safe. So twice in my career, I actually paid my own way to those different countries and you know, showed that I was there, and I came back, came back safely. And I said, OK, so you said you didn't think I could do this because you didn't think it was safe. I went on my own, not even <laughs> representing a company. And in both cases, I got the job. So finding out what is the reason that mm -hmm. they're saying no. And, and at Apple, one of the ways I broke through to the global was I created a great presentation that showed that we could grow their, grow their business with large multinationals. But I only printed one copy. And so when I presented that, the vice president's like, oh, gosh, this is great analysis. And he went to get it. And I put my hand on it. And I said, it comes with me. <laughs> so after six months of trying, I finally broke through. Where do you get the guts to ha like have a response like that? Well, you know, I think, you know, from being a young Girl Scout and, and really hearing my troop leader saying, you don't leave the side of a sale until you've heard no three times. And I have found how many times that's opened up opportunities for me. I know when I was in high school, um, the college counselor looked out at the lobby and I'd signed up for counseling and she said, what are you doing here? And she, and she said, girls like you don't go to college. And you know, to me, that was just my first no. Yeah. I didn't let her define me. And I went in and ended up you know, going to college. We'll get back to the couch in a minute, but that's got me thinking of a growing pain many business owners go through. Management. Yeah. It's been the hardest. <laughs> uh, that is a reason why we probably take a lot of aspirin sometimes. It can also be the most rewarding. It's something that it's, it's always surprising. There's always something, and you have to learn on the fly. We have some great resources to help us navigate those challenges, but we also know that those resources can be hard to come by. Remember when we told you guys about Goldman Sachs 10,000 Women? That's the program that provides resources to female business owners who need them around the world. Goldman Sachs started 10,000 Women in 2008. Since then, it's been providing female entrepreneurs with networking opportunities, access to funding, and education on practical business skills, like how to manage a growing team. But it doesn't just stop in the program. 90% of participants pay it forward by mentoring other women when they're out of the 10,000 Women program. Learn more about Goldman Sachs 10,000 Women at gs.com slash 10kw. One of the things that you said um, a few minutes ago was that you had to learn how to develop yourself. And that's something, you know, for me, running a young company where mentorship is super important to us, but like we can only do so many things at one time and we're trying to figure out what does that look like at the scam for our audience. Um, you know, we talk a lot about this, but how do you find mentors? And then if you're thinking about making pivots, like how do you kind of bridge that information gap? How, how do you develop yourself in an organization that is not necessarily like thinking about you in a certain way? Well, you know, as an example, at, at Apple, when I went ahead and did that analysis, that wasn't part of my job. I was really trying to break through in another area. So I went in on my own time. But also, you know, sometimes I would make deliberate choices to invest in myself, taking classes, taking a lot of speaking classes. You know, I had to overcome being an engineer. And I still work on that all the time um, because, you know, as an engineer, you, you want to answer things logically and to the final point, and everyone's like, just get to the point, will you? It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's like speaking one-on-one. So, you know, that, that development in yourself, um, I'm always looking and working with at some 
times in my career working with coaches to, to improve myself, but also laying out what's the next step? What do you want next? And preparing yourself with that skill set so that you're ready. And a long time ago, I, I saw this dress, and it was amazing. And I said, I'm going to buy that dress because that is an outfit you wear to the White House. I bought that <laughs> years before I got the chance to go to the White House. And you know what? When I got a chance and I knew I was going to go to the White House, I had to work out because I had to, like, fit into it. <laughs> but, but I did. And it was sort of like that manifestation of what my goal was and what do I need to do I to get the there. I love the visualization tactics. Uh, it, we're big on those, too. Uh-huh. You've worked in environments, whether it's Apple or Dell or the White House and other Girl Scouts, that um, they couldn't be more different from each other. What is your management philosophy? You know, I really try to be more of a servant leader. Um, what does that so, mean? You know, for me, is I don't necessarily have to have the credit. I really let other people have the credit. They do the work. And, you know, if people feel like they're going to be rewarded and acknowledged, they tend to work a lot harder. No one likes to work really hard and have somebody else take all the credit. And so from the very beginning, I, I know what that feels like as a woman, as a young, you know, as a young engineer or a young salesperson, to have somebody else come in at the last minute and take credit for all your work. That just feels really lousy. And so I know one of the things I always try to do is make sure that people know when they're working with me, they're going to get credit and acknowledgement for the job well done. This is something like obviously personal to to your background, but also something that's a huge initiative for, for Girl Scouts, which I think is no coincidence, which is encouraging STEM programs. We, you know, I'm a female executive in tech. We all see the same problems happening repeatedly, and we all know that there are systemic issues. Talk to us about what you are doing to solve for these systemic problems. I'm so glad you asked that question. You know, Really, we do acknowledge that every girl has this mobile device in her hands, and a lot of women and girls have not been part of creating those solutions. So to make sure that they're part, they have got the skill set so that they can be participating in creating the future. Just recently, I was here at the Fashion Institute. Fashion is a $3 trillion inst- you know, industry. It's completely being remade around data. So you don't even necessarily need scissors anymore. There's this new device called the Cricut. So you've got to do a little bit of programming. Or also now you know you have to know computer-aided design, CAD, for some of the classes that used to all be freelanced, right, or used to just draw. And now, now you're going to have to know a little bit of programming. So just even that industry to obviously the technology industry, agriculture, our tractors, our combines are being controlled by, by data. So the world around us is moving to that no matter what industry you're in. And we want girls and women to have a voice in that, especially when it has to do with things about our privacy and who we are. I mean, I think it's just, you know, amazing that in a few years our mobile devices are, are going to be our physicians. But what if they are designed so that they know we're pregnant before we do, and they tell the insurance provider before we know about it, and suddenly your premiums go way up, or maybe your insurance gets canceled? You know, those kind of decisions are being made right now, and if we don't have enough women and girls at the table as marketeers, as designers, as lawyers, who understand and can advocate for the things that we're concerned about, you know, the future is going to look a lot different. And at Girl Scouts, I want to make sure that girls have the skills, the confidence, the character to be able to be part of creating the future. How is STEM and programming around that um, inserted into the programming of Girl Scouts today? 
Well, you know, we have four pillars, so we'll never get away from the great outdoors. So mm-hmm. that's just so important. Um, also teaching the important life skills and entrepreneurship, that famous iconic cookie program. And then also STEM. I really should have done the scouts. I could have <laughs> run the cookie program. <laughs> that's true. So, you know, what's really great is we don't see it as, as binary. So, so many of our quote-unquote STEM are actually outdoor activities. And we make sure that a third, about a third of our programming is done unplugged. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, if you imagine, if most of the technology and the devices have been not programmed by women and girls, then you're learning around prescribed, already pre-designed ideas. And what we want to do is to have girls wonder, to think about the entire universe, to be outside, make connect the dots there. So it's just so important that when we have STEM, we just don't see it in isolation, but we see it around solving problems. And I'll give you a great example. With the, uh, Our highest award is the Gold Award, Girl Scout. And what you do to earn your Gold Award is you solve one of society's grand challenges. You have to do something that makes the world a different place, a better place, however you look at that. So like this year, some of our Gold Award Girl Scouts, one of them really convinced, she was so concerned about plastic in the ocean, she convinced Alaska Airlines to stop using plastic, right? That's a big impact. We've had girls who have changed state laws, like the young Girl Scout who changed the law in New Hampshire around child marriage. We've had girls who have changed the state laws around you know, secondary smoke. One girl felt so strongly about sex trafficking, she created a video that the FBI still uses. So when you think about that, some of it you might say, well, there's a lot of analysis, there's maybe some data looking at it. That's partly STEM, but it's a how do you apply it to make the world a better place. One of the things, you know, I'm like listening to you talk and I'm like, you are, I'm like, wow, she's so smart. What a great executive. I'm like, I really got to step up my game. What are you not good at? (laughs) Make me feel better. What are you not good at? Don't ask me to sing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have, I have really bad dance moves too. I try hard, (laughs) but yeah. What's your worst management mistake? Oh gosh. Um, I can remember when I was a, a rookie manager and I let the brown noser kind of tell me the story without digging deeper. And wouldn't you know it, sure enough, the brown noser, the one that got to me first, kind of painted the story. And I didn't look beyond. And all they were doing is getting credit for somebody else's work. And then that person came up to me, and they were devastated. And, you know, I thought, that's a rookie mistake, Sylvia. You can't do that. You know for people to succeed in a company, no one can do it alone. And you were just a little lazy there. And you didn't take that second step of making sure you understood who really was involved. And you just kind of let somebody kind of jazz hands you. You know, there's been a lot of headlines in the last few years around the Boy Scouts, and they now um, they open their doors to girls. I want your thoughts around the relationship of Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts today and those organizations, but also how do you think about the Girl Scouts evolving to be more inclusive, whether for sexual orientation or gender inclusion? Okay. So one of the things, totally separate organizations have been completely separate from the very beginning. So we are completely separate. And as a result, we have continued to change and reflect girls' interests. And so now we're the experts. We have over 100 years of being the experts of how girls learn and lead. And so it's no surprise that girls who are Girl Scouts, you know, half of our female elected officials in America were Girl Scouts. You know, three, all three secretaries of state's Girl Scouts. You know, even this weekend, I happened to run into a female astronaut. She was a Girl Scout. Almost every female astronaut that's been in space, they were Girl Scouts. So, it, you know, those things, we have a really big impact. And so we really are the experts in girls. And so right now, girls still need that all-girl space for sisterhood for inclusion, for empowerment. And so we feel really good about what we offer girls. 
and really giving them that space where they can be who they are and don't have to worry about all that other stuff. In terms of inclusion, from our very beginning, we've been inclusive. Uh, our founder, Julia Gordon-Lowe, I think her second troop was of African-American girls. I, I know we have girls with all different learning abilities. We've had girl, Native American, all different religious types, all different heritage types. we very, very inclusive. Switching gears for a second, we talked to Melanie Whelan, uh, who's the CEO of SoulCycle, and she told us that she has a millennial mentor. At Girl Scouts, you are working with a generation even younger than that. Do you have a, a mentor who is maybe under the age of 15? <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, one of the things, I didn't know who Sean Mendez was. Big mistake, right? <laughs> Huge. Uh, yeah, I know, I know. So I literally have girls always emailing me their, you know, top list of, of who they like listening to. But just recently, I did a tour around the country, and I met with well over 3,500 girls. And that is just so important to me to really talk to them and to hear from them you know, what they're interested in, what, you know, what they want to see from Girl Scouts. So, yes, I'm always listening to girls. And one of the great things about Girl Scouts is we do teach them to be courageous and confident. And I will tell you, no matter where I am, there will be a Girl Scout that will say, okay, here's what you need to fix in Girl Scouts. You know, it's like, okay, right. So I'm constantly getting that feedback. But I realize that if I've gone a week and I haven't interacted with a girl in my job, that's not good. I definitely always need to be interacting with girls. So last question, it's something that we've been asking all of our guests because it's, it's a personal one to us and something our community um, talks a lot about, which is when was the last time you negotiated for yourself? Oh, my goodness. You know, for myself, not just for my company, here's, here's a little secret. I don't know why, but I love, I really love buying cars because I love that negotiation. <laughs> I do. I really love, you know, that game. Um, so I just recently got a car um, and I definitely love that part. And, and, you know, I set a price and the dealer said they couldn't do it. And there's this whole game and dancing. And I actually love that. And I can't tell you how many times friends have asked me to help them buy cars because I love that. <laughs> do you want to buy me? Uh, I, I know. I really enjoy that. I love that. Well, Sylvia, thank you. Uh, thank you for bringing us some Girl Scout cookies today, too. I have to go and eat them right now. But uh, what a pleasure to, to talk to you and, and hearing your story. So thank you very much. Oh, you bet. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you for the great work you do. Thank you. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra. 